Welcome, everybody, to a special podcast from Night Watch Games. This is Porik and Brenda. We have just finished our first foray into the Board Game Geek Con, and we wanted to give you some feedback about how we liked it and maybe what we would like to see changed. We saw this convention advertised on BoardGameGeek.com, which is a website that we frequent. It helps us determine which board games we're going to stock in our store. It's just one of the many game rating platforms. And in my opinion, the best one. So saw it advertised there immediately knew I wanted to go to it. Uh, asked pork about it. He said, yes. So we got to have a little mini vacation. It was very nice. Only a foolish husband would say no to that. <laughs> also, I want to say thank you so much to the awesome staff that is holding down the fort at Nightwatch Games. Uh, we have the ever wonderful Manny, who's been our rock and our steady foundation from the beginning. Uh, we have another new employee, Corey. She works in the day with Manny. And then, of course, Michael and Eric at night. Eric is our new evening manager. And Michael is just everybody's favorite employee. <laughs> he gets the popularity award. So one of the things that they had to endure is uh, I think most of them are going to have to work 10 days straight Something because like we had to do some schedule shifting to allow us to come out. So uh, Brenda's right. We really do appreciate that hard work from the staff and hopefully uh, the rest of the night watchers. Go could, easy on them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're probably tired right now, uh, but we're coming home soon. So let's talk about the con itself. It was hosted in all three levels of the lobby. You walked into the second level and there was a lobby with a big buffet of pretty expensive con food, but I think it was probably made better than most con food. And then there was a downstairs that I think the big attraction there was a library in which you could check out games. And that was really the, the crux of the whole con was check out games, literally, and then take them to a table and play with yourself or with other strangers that were invited to sit down with you. Actually, there was a sign that said, uh, anyone caught playing with themselves will be oh, yeah. taken out of the con. <laughs> yeah, kidding. the police were called on you. <laughs> and then there was the third floor, which was really the restaurant bar area, but people would claim any kind of flat table space as play availability. And there was games everywhere. And of course, the the convention itself wasn't just in the lobbies. Those were just the primary common areas. Every conference room, every every space that had table space was taken up. And this is uh, a testament to the industry because uh, every table was taken up by board games. When I say board games, I'm really talking about the specific types of games that you see that come in a somewhat square cardboard box and they usually have cardboard components and meeples and there's a board that folds out and various different rules that you interact with but board games uh, exclude things like skirmish games or the ward games or card games and dice games so it's on one hand a very narrow type of game but the industry is so robust now that there were literally thousands i thousands. don't think we could count the titles no. So what we did was uh, Brenda went down to the convention floor. It was with an exhibit the, hall. Yeah, exhibit hall. With vendors, uh, game manufacturers, publishers, the typical booths that you see, portal games, you know, just all the different check games, the major, major game makers. Yep. So that's one of my most enjoyable parts of cons is walking around to the different booths and meeting the game designers themselves. Many of the companies had the designer there on staff. 
Uh, and then you also had a bevy of volunteers that were set up to help you learn how to play the game and talk about the theme of the game and all the related products that you could indeed buy there at the convention. Meeting those personalities is one of my highlights because not only can you interact with people that have a, a true passion for what they're doing, but then you get to share your own passion as well. So it's a very nice give and take meeting of like minds in the industry. What's your favorite part of the that part of the con? Of the exhibit portion? Yeah. My favorite part, without a doubt, is having the designer of the game or someone who is trained from the designer teach me the game. We teach a lot of board games at Nightwatch Games, and it's nice to be on the receiving end of that. All right. So with that established, let's talk about some of the, let's maybe the, do the top 10 choices for Nightwatch games at Board Game Geek. Okay, uh, great. I've actually got a good idea of that. And we played probably 30 games while we yeah. were there between the demos that we took, the games that we checked out of the library, uh, other people's games that they had set up where you can just join the table. So we'll do honorable mentions at the end. Okay, we'll do honorable so, mentions, yeah. Uh, so put you on the spot. What do you think your number 10 game is out of all the ones that we played? The number 10 game? Yeah. Um, it would actually be the first game that I played as we arrived. Taverns of Tiefenthal was being played by uh, just a group who were very inviting and let me sit down. And this is a new game. It's from 2019. Um, it's your basic strategy game, competitive strategy game. It's got elements of deck building, dice rolling. Um, but I would say my favorite thing about the game was the theme. It's a, it's a beer hall in, you know, a European city. While we're not beer drinkers ourselves, it was just damn cute. And one of the coolest things about the game that really made it stand out from other games is that you can actually upgrade the board on which you're playing. So imagine you get your cardboard dashboard, and this is going to be the area that you're doing your resource management, your dice rolling, your deck building, but then a piece of it breaks off and you can turn it over and puzzle it right back into that same spot, but just on the other side. So you're not only upgrading your deck, you're upgrading your board. Okay. And the board is the actual tavern yes. that you're, you're trying to manage? Yes. And it's got an indoors and an outdoors. So you've got your wait staff, you've got your brewers, you've got your customers. Some of them are passed out. You know? Is this like it's, an American tavern or are we looking at like a European? It's most definitely a European tavern. Okay. Um, and it's, it's fantasy. So you feel like everybody there are dwarves or something, but I think it's uh, reminiscent of Red Dragon Inn, which was not necessarily a game that I ever played, but uh, this is uh, not a drinking game. This is definitely a Euro, a competitive Euro. Okay. All right. Cool. And what was that called? Taverns of Tiefenthal. Go to nine now. Okay. So nine. Um, nine would be the Terrors of London. Also a brand new game that just came out. Coincidentally, also a deck builder, but combat. You get to you get to fight things. And actually, you played this game. So why don't I, you talk about I it? I did. Yeah. It, that was the intro. Is If we're familiar with Star Realms we'd be very interested or certainly familiar with the idea of building a deck. And mm -hmm. this deck focused on, you have a iconic bad guy from uh, folklore. You were... Methuselah. Methuselah, <laughs> But yeah. it's not like cute Bible Methuselah. It's like thousand-year-old vampire Methuselah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was definitely a dark element to the game. Uh, and it's horror. I it's a horror game. was... Oh, Lilith. And she didn't look very happy either. <laughs> uh, so you build your deck with different cultists and people, ritualists, 
that are trying to, I guess, beckon you into mm-hmm. their realm. And your goal to the game is to do damage to the other monster, the other player, by having your cultist attack them. And then, of course, your cultists give you a resource that you can use to buy cards that have more power. And it's very typical deck builder, but some of the interesting powers that you get from the different monsters that you recruit into your deck get really gotcha. I I don't think there's any really new ground being broken by the game, but the feel and the texture is nice and creepy and dark. And uh, I have to admit, I respond well to that versus chibi art and big-eyed You don't like Japan little May. woodland creatures in a forest? No, I, I have to say I'm probably too cynical as a person. Well, if you are also cynical as a person, Terrors of London is for you. It's a great deck builder. Like you said, uh, just a, a good combination of all the favorite mechanics that we love in a game. And fast-paced. That was another thing I liked yeah, about it. It's like a travel game. It's really good to put into your travel bag. And when you're at the airport, you can easily flop that out. And yeah. Freak out the people around you. Yeah. Wear that t-shirt that says, we are the weirdos, mister. (laughs) (laughs) All right, number seven. Number seven was a game that you didn't get to play, but I did on the very last day, which was actually today. And it's called Sanctum. Uh, This is a competitive adventure game. So it's uh, you and several other people who are going through this fantasy city called Sanctum. You are leveling up quickly, you're putting on equipment, you're trading, you're killing minions along the way, and all for the purpose of purifying the city of Sanctum from the big boss. And that is the final level of the game. So think talisman, but much faster and much more visually appealing. So I think one of the things I liked about it was that it's very hack and slash. You level up fast, you kill everything. So while I don't like to play my RPGs, uh, my role-playing games that way, we like to be more thoughtful in you know, D&D and Zweihand or the role-playing games that we play. In this game, you get to be the murder hobo. <laughs> and it's, it's fun. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's number seven. I have to admit, yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. All right. But it's got a cool name. It does, yes. Sanctum. Yeah, and a good price point, too. It's only $60, and you get a hell of a lot of product for that. Do you find that's the trend now, that board games are packing that box with just more and more components to give you either perceived value or or real value? Uh, That's a good question, and I would say no. I don't think that that is the driving force behind the boxes. Uh, Otherwise, it would be very much a trend and I don't, I don't feel that it is. Oh, you don't? No. The the big adventures like, um, rage and hate. And then there's the The big boxes. Yeah. There are certain companies that really go for that, but usually those are miniatures games. And as you pointed out earlier, this was not heavy miniature game. There were a few miniature games being displayed and exhibited. Uh, there were actually a couple of war games, um, card games, dice games, but these were traditionally either competitive thematic strategy games or competitive Euro strategy games. It really fell in to sort of those two major categories with just a few dexterities and, and other types of games. Okay. All right. So that brings us to number six. Uh, number have? six, also a game that you didn't get to play. It was called Imperial Settlers Roll and Write. Also a game that just came out. If you're a Euro gamer at all, you know Imperial Settlers, uh, an excellent Euro game. This one is a competitive strategy game that is a roll and write by name. It's got some engine building to it, though. So you Euro gamers, if you were shying away from roll and writes, 
you should go pick this one up. It's great. I would actually call it a your roll and ride. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Thanks. I think what really sold me on this game was the 48 unique game sheets that it comes with. So for those of you who have played roll and rights, you know that you usually get a pad of paper and maybe it's two-sided if you're lucky and you get to roll a dice or draw a card and then draw. So it's either a draw and draw game like cartographers or a traditional roll and light like railroad ink. And you get to draw on this piece of paper and that's it. And that's the only tableau in which you get to explore. But in this game, you get 48 different ones. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the replayability is off the charts on this game. I was super impressed with it. Uh, so definitely in the top 10. Okay, cool. Uh, is it What's the connection between the roll and write and actual Imperial Settlers? Just theme. Just it's the just theme. in okay. the world of Imperial Settlers. It's a standalone game, so not an expansion at all. All right, let's go to number five. Number five is a game that you played, and I'd love to hear what you have to think about it as well, especially because I know it's similar to a game that you played a lot growing up. Uh, this game is called Atelier. It's French. It's called Atelier. Excuse me, Atelier. It's a competitive strategy board game uh, where you've got some dice rolling, some set collection, and you are looking at some famous works of art. Yeah, so uh, this is very similar to a game that I used to play back in the 80s with my family called Masterpiece. And the mechanics are very different, but the theme is that you're looking at the masterpiece paintings of history, uh, Picasso's and uh, Monet's mm -hmm. and that kind of class of painting. And in the masterpiece game, you would purchase them and you would bid on them and they would go up for auction and you were trying to use that mechanic to get as much money as you could. Uh, there were forgeries in the game and you had to avoid those or you had to bluff them and get as much money you could for the forgery. Well, Atelier, I hope we're saying that right. I believe we are. Atelier. Atelier. Uh, is a game that uses the same concept of the masterpiece painters of... The, the 1800s. Yeah, right. And yet the difference is you are reconstructing the painting using the color palette that the artist used. And you do that by accumulating the actual pigments. Uh, I think they were called paint, paint pieces. They were little uh, meeple-shaped things of paint. And you had to acquire the certain combination of paint in order to recreate that masterpiece. And once you had the right paint in possession, you could if your die roll was correct, you could then paint that painting and you got points on the value of that painting. Mm -hmm. And the more complex paintings were you know, harder to acquire because you had to get more resources to get it done first. Uh, but I have to admit, it's very nostalgic for me because it would in the same vein that uh, the game was masterpiece for my family. So I'm planning on taking this one home and forcing them to play it over Christmas. <laughs> Fair warning. All right. So next we had Letter Jam. It's a party game. It is a word game. It's cooperative. Uh, it's we, a card game by the looks of it. Yeah. You say party game. Uh, I just want to make a disclaimer. There's a cerebral element to this party game. So if you're partying really hard, this is probably not the game. <laughs> True. Because you have to think about it. There's this some... is a good game to warm you up for a heavier game. A sort of that's how I see party games. A gateway. It's a gateway game. Yeah, it's a yeah. nice, nice, um, fun, haha -ha kind of game. And yet, I don't, I don't know if I think I see this game differently. Maybe because I'm the English major between the two of us. Okay. 
And because it's wordplay and you're trying to get people to guess the word that you want by manipulating letters, much like in Scrabble. For some reason, I take that a lot more seriously than just a party game. Well, usually any game that has a deduction, a social deduction element to it, uh, not a betrayal. It's not like werewolf, not that kind of deduction, actual. It's, I have to give you clues as to what your word is. And then there is three stacks of letters and there are a stand in front of each stack. The stand is where you can place the card into the stand and now you're looking at that letter. In addition to the three that are given to everybody, each person has one in front of them and they can see your letters, but they cannot see their own letters. So the clue giver, whoever that is, it's a cooperative game. So if you've got a clue, you can give, you give it. And uh, you say, okay, I can make a five letter word with that's going to help two people at this table. So you you declare that and people say, okay, go for it. You give your clue and then they try to make the word using the letters that you say are in it. So there's that scramble effect where I'm giving you the letters uh, and I'm helping you make the word, but then you have to figure it out what it is. So it's very social. Uh, the clue giving element, I think was my favorite. It seemed to be where I excelled in the game. All right. Cool. Cool. So that, that was number five. Mm-hmm. So, Going to four. All right. Um, the next one was Adventure Games. Uh, this is made by Cosmos. And uh, by the way, the most fantastic crew at that booth. Just yeah, loved everybody good, there. Good guys. Yeah. Yep. And girls. Yep. So this one is your class. It's also a co-op strategy adventure sort of role-playing game. Um, it's your basic escape room game. They also make Exit, by the way, uh, which is a well-known escape room game. However, the difference in this one is that there is no time pressure. So it allows for a lot more story development. Also, there's nothing destroyed. So instead of ruining the game as you play it and sort of being out $15 for an experience, you get to keep playing this over and over and because the multiple paths to the correct answer, which allows you to go to the next level, then the game offers a lot of replayability. And it's also very thematic. You also played this one, Pork. What did you think of it? Yeah, I think it's akin to the choose your own adventure books that I grew up on, where you're an adventurer. And when you chose a an option at the end of a chapter, it told you to flip to a certain page and then pick up the story from that choice. This game is very much the same way, but what you're doing is you're picking a location or an element on a picture, and each element in the picture had an entry number associated with it. And when you picked a location in the picture to explore, you'd flip to a book on that particular entry, and you'd read out loud the description of what happens if you were to explore that element in the picture. And you could acquire items that had uses and you could uh, discover some things about your settings. And in our setting, our goal was to get out of a a cell. Mm -hmm. I think we were in a prison cell. We had to get out. And there were probably about 10 to 12 options that you could explore within the cell. And as you read the entries, they combine so that it's a living choice branch. So if you were to acquire a tool, from that point on, all the entries take into account that you've you've acquired that tool. Right. So this is how that went down. So of all the numbers on the picture of this cell, Pork chose the one that was just on the wall. It was a brick wall. And there was a number on it, right? So Pork said, I want to see if that's a loose brick. 
Sure enough, we turned to the page that the number sends us to, and it was a loose brick. What are we going to do with it? Uh, there's no glass windows. Uh, the door is not going to get knocked down with a, a random brick throw. So we said, well, we keep looking. So it was my turn. I said, I want to explore the uh, the bars on the cell wall, the window. The window, yeah. Uh, and I want to see if any of those are loose. Sure enough, because it was a number there, so right, that it kind of indicates. Sure enough, there was a loose bar. So Pork looks down at his card that is the picture of the brick, and he notices that there's a hole in the middle of the brick and that it, there might be... So sort of just in Pork D&D fashion, he says, okay, I, I get the bar and I put it into the brick and I make a hammer. And she says, okay, well, it doesn't work that way. You have to actually, actually combine the numbers from the brick and the bar to see what happens. Yeah. And he said, oh, okay. okay." Uh, So you flip to the new number, which is a combination of the brick entry and a combination of the bar entry. Not a summation, not a sum total, but literally the brick's number is 602. The bar's number is 121. So you turn to 602121. That's the number. And you you read that entry and it shows how you can combine these two items into its own tool. Object. Which ended up being like a big sledgehammer. And then the two of us looked at each other and said, well, let's take the sledgehammer to the door, which had its own entry. And because we had the sledgehammer, you combine the sledgehammer. Which is now a new card with its own number. Yeah, you combine that number with the door's number, uh, you know, indicating that you're going to try to break down the door. And sure enough, we were able to get out of the prison cell very quickly. Yeah, so that was the exact combination of things that you needed to get out of that particular escape room as fast as possible. And we just streamlined ourselves right about it. The lady said, so you've played this game before? We said, no. And she said, okay, that never happens. She went and got the designer. She's like, come look at this. They got out of there in like two minutes. In two minutes. (laughs) Well, there was a couple of other things in the room that we could have interacted with. There was a skeleton that we could have looked at. We could have looked underneath the bed. There was Yeah, but who would do that? Yeah. There was some creepy stuff that you could explore. And I think we just got lucky, really. We did. We did. But the interesting thing about that game is that was just one picture of about 20 to 40 pictures that you end up looking through. So the story keeps on going, and each picture has an array of numbers that you investigate and you look through the pamphlet on what that is. And I think the logical step for the game is the designers have put the description that you would read on an app Mm -hmm. and the app will read it out for you. Right. So here's another cool thing. And I was sort of reading about the game that night after we played it, you know, exit games, 45 minutes. This game has three levels to each time you play it, and each level is expected to take about 70 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a full experience. Yeah. So very cool. I think they have two versions of the game out. No one, one is called the it's Dungeon. It's the Dungeon, and the other one is the Monochrome. The Monochrome. Yeah. And small boxes, small price point, but man, hours of fun. Yeah. Again, a very good travel game. This is something you could do on an airplane mm-hmm. and... uh experience it and have a lot of fun with the person sitting next to you. Yeah. Um, so cool. Uh, that was number five. Yes. So the next one is also a game that we played together. This one we checked out of the library and had to figure it out ourselves, which is always fun after a long day and you're tired. Um, <laughs> it's called call to adventure. Also a competitive strategy game, uh, with some set collection, heavy storytelling, some combat and, uh, 
Yeah, Pork, why don't you tell me what your impression of this game was? Uh, Call to Adventure has a lot of elements that are very similar to role player in that you are generating a character, but instead of generating the stats like role player does, in this game, you're generating the backstory. And I see it as a great tool for those people that play role-playing games and they're sort of stuck with what to do with their character or their concept. This game lets you take the origin of your humble character, and then it also lets you randomly pick a uh, sort of a catalyst that makes you develop into an adventurer. And then you have your destiny card, which is your end state, where you're the big bad cream of the crop kind of adventurer. Uh, but or that's villain. just. Or the villain, right? You could be bad. There, so there's a tragedy versus triumph, triumph track. So you could be the good guy or the bad guy or somewhere in between. And it lets you not only have those three stages of character development, but as you play the game, you come across events that will increase your power or increase your stats in the form of runes. And the runes are what you roll in order to perform combat or get through different challenges. So as you develop, your stats are increasing, but each of them is a specific, very thematic event that justifies how it is that you're growing as an adventurer. By the end of the game, you have a full story arc of your character, and it's pretty deep. It's pretty rich. Uh, you had to justify the relationships between the cards that you acquired and how your character is growing in this direction. And I could see it as a great narrative tool for people that play role-playing games. I enjoyed it a lot. So did I. And uh, even figuring it out was not that hard. I mean, the rules were, I'd say, pretty good. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 10 being Harry Potter Hogwarts battle rules, because I think those are just the best rules ever written, um, made the game so much more fun. Uh, but this was solid 7. Uh, you know, not too confusing. Uh, we had to go back and read things a few times. But um, while we were playing it, one of our good friends and former customers, he just moved out of San Antonio, Brett Fennell, who's also a game designer, not of this game. He designed several games, most notably Love Battle High School. Uh, he sat down with us to play and was sort of helping us figure it out. And he mentioned that this game was actually inspired by a book series called The King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. by Patrick Rothfuss. That's so right. if you were a reader of those and a lover of that type of book, this one is definitely good for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Call to Adventure was that one. So All the right. next two were mine, the, the nine and 10 were mine. So I thought I'd I want you to talk about that one. Uh, so for me, number nine was Everdell. Competitive worker placement. So you got a Euro game here, a beautiful game. It's got this really cute tree <laughs> that's not actually a game mechanic. Woodland creatures in the forest. The tree is three-dimensional. The, three the tree is three-dimensional, yep. Uh, you build it. it. Even in the non-deluxe version of the game, you get the tree, so that's really cool. Um, Everdell is a little bit of card drafting, a little bit of tableau building. It's a touch of take that, which I always like in the game. Not too much, not munchkin level take that, but just a touch of it. Um, but man, is it thematic. So if you were a kid and you loved the movie Secret of Nim this game is going to take you right to that place. So the most excellent game, of course, it gets amazing ratings, my new favorite worker placement game. But part of what made the game 
very enjoyable were two gentlemen that I got to meet. They actually taught me the game. Uh, one is named Richard Bliss. The other's name is Jerry Chacon. And among other things that they do in their lives, their vocations, they also are the um, the minds behind a podcast called Funding the Dream uh, with Kickstarter on Kickstarter. They went for eight years uh, with this podcast, 330 episodes. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, their last episode, sadly, was on October of this year. I, I just started listening to the first one. It's an excellent podcast. If you're a person that's thinking about doing a project on Kickstarter, whether it be a game or an invention, or you're looking to expand your business or start up your own business, this is a podcast you want to listen to be, if you're thinking about funding it through Kickstarter or any kind of crowdsource funding. Two just class act gentlemen, the kind of people that you, you want to know and have in your life. So uh, fortunately, we were able to make a, a connection with them and hopefully we'll, we'll see them again along the way. They were there actually on a, a media pass. So they were helping do coverage for the show. But uh, yeah, just wanted to give a shout out to Richard Bliss and Jerry Chacon, uh, just two, two proper gentlemen. Yep. It seemed like a very civil game that you were playing. Very yes. low key and casual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a ha ha game. It's it's a classic euro. Certainly not something to sit and watch, as I could attest to. Pork was just a tad bit bored. Yeah. Uh, games. <laughs> yeah. Board games. All right. And what is number one? So number one was a game that sadly I did not get to have a full run through of because it was just me and you need more people to play this game. It is called Obscurio. It is a cooperative deduction game, also made in 2019. If you've played Mysterium, and I have to say, I hate starting off describing a game by using another game, yeah. but this is a new game, right? So not a lot of people have played it, and a lot of people have played Dixit and Mysterium and those other kinds of games where you're looking at a card on the table that has very abstract art, and you're trying to deduce clues from that, right? It's got that Mysterium element. However, it also includes tricks, traps. You actually have some exploration going on where you're exploring the manor. There's a bluffing element to it. Um, not full on social deduction like werewolf, but a little bit more like betrayal at house on the hill where sort of halfway through. And if you're playing with the right number of people, you're going to have a betrayer and he's going to be giving the wrong clues and trying to lead you off the path. This game has it all really. So it's got your, your board game. It's got amazing artwork, cooperative. So it's not too backstabby, but then also has that bluffing element. Uh, so this is the game that I most want to go home, learn really well, and teach to everybody at the store. Interesting. Brenda was saying that there's a couple of elements in the game that I thought were unique. One is that when you're looking at the artwork, when it's fully available to you, it's obviously is easy to depict the meaning that you're trying to convey. But you can add filters to the art that either take out some of the details or Yeah, let me obscure. describe those. Sure. So these were the, some of the tricks that you, or the traps rather, that you could come across. Imagine a full color card artwork. So the trap causes this red film to be placed over the card. And now the colors are much harder to discern and you're having to solely rely on the imagery in the card. Um, Another one. And of course, if it's a red film, anything that was red in the artwork now disappears. Right, exactly. So, and color is a major part of the deduction process in this game. And then another film that you could lay over 
had both transparent and opaque imagery on it so that it literally covered up, concealed some of the imagery and forcing you to have to work around that. Interesting. So yeah. just took Mysterium to a whole new level. And this has a nice, solid, better ending than Mysterium. I found myself having to homebrew the ending to Mysterium. Not this one. It's got a solid ending. All right. So you hear that, John Fuller? Your game <laughs> that you'd play for the rest of your life has now been upgraded. All right. So that is certainly not all the games that we were exposed to, but those were the ones that really stuck out for Brenda and I. Some of the other honorable mentions that we were able to get our hands on, uh, there's a game called Conflict of Heroes, which is a nod to the, I think, the old SSI systems of chit and hex game mats for World War II battles. Uh, but they streamlined the rules. They made the chits bigger. They made our maps a little smaller. So the scale of the battle is down to squad levels versus big battalions and companies. Uh, and so you get a nice kind of an old school war game feel in a modern package with a smaller scale. So I'm really curious to see what demographic response to that. I think the old school Gronyards uh, obviously would like it, but because it's got some new elements, I wonder if it's going to be a gateway to a new generation of Wargamer. If any game could, I think this one would. Um, he had an interesting thing to say <laughs> about its use in the military. Do you remember what he oh, said? Oh, that's right. Yeah. The, the command colleges for officers in the Marines and the Army are actually using Conflict of Heroes as a training aid for the modern day officer to grasp battle tactics and overall strategies. And he said that the Army and the Marines were claiming that the new generation of officer is very good with the immediate reactive tactics, but not very good with the beforehand strategies of battle maintenance and command and control. Yeah, and this game is helping with that. Uh, this is actually Conflict of Heroes Awakening the Bear. Operation Barbosa is the third edition of this game. So you can get other first and second editions, but the third edition, which is Operation Barbosa, includes new mechanics, new levels of fun, stress dice. Uh, so we got to play the third edition, but it is the first in a game series. Uh, so you'd want to start with that one. It's called Conflict of Heroes, Awakening the Bear, Operation Barbosa. Got to meet the uh, the makers and the family behind this game, including the son, who's sort of off doing his own thing, but is extremely smart, educated, and came up with two expansions for the game already. One is a solo expansion, so that you can turn this game into a solo play, but also a mission generator so that when you've played out all the missions in the game and you've purchased and played out all of the expansion boards that you can play with, you now can use this one box to create your own missions, which I find very interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think this is going to be an evergreen game, you yep. know, in the grand scale of things. Yeah. Replayability is a huge value multiplier. I think that's one of the things that uh, as consumers we shy away from is those games that can be explored in one or two settings and then the value of the game goes away. And Conflict of Heroes is one of those games that will not expire due to content. All right. Were there any other honorable mentions that you were able to play? For that you... sure. Uh, Periodic is a new game that also just came out in 2019. It is a scientific sort of educational type game using the elements as its grid that you move across. It's fast paced. It's got this really easy learning curve. 
It's cute. It's competitive. Uh, so I, this was a favorite of mine too. There's just so many good games out there, but I, I definitely wanted to use this one as my first honorable mention. I found that Periodic was made by Genius Games. Yes. Uh, and they seem to specialize in taking academic and educational topics and making them fun to learn. Growing up as a medical student back in the day, uh, I was very familiar with the periodic table through chemistry classes. And I found not only was exploring the periodic table as a board interesting, but as you would try to accumulate different compounds, the game gives you what those compounds are used for in real life. So that when you're accumulating iron and carbon, the card itself would let you know that that was steel. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you got to learn how the elements interact with each other and what the modern day uses for them are. And uh, I thought it was pretty engaging. Using the periodic table gives you a couple of interesting design elements because each element has an atomic weight and an atomic mass and an ionization. And all those are different mechanics that you can use to move your your beaker. Was mm -hmm. it a beaker? It was a beaker. A beaker. It was a beaker, beaker meeple. <laughs> So that was fun. I had a good time with that. Uh, I think the kids in high school or even grade school would respond to that kind of exploration of science. How did you feel about Roll for Adventure? That was a, a game that we played yesterday. It's another Cosmos game. It's uh, the one where we were working together to defeat the monsters. Sort of reminded us of your D&D &D session. It's a board game in which you're trying to acquire gems. And when you acquired the correct number of gems and the correct color of gems, uh, you got a item of power. And each item of power had a different combination of gems that you had to acquire. But the board game was in the form of four quadrants, and each quadrant had its own elemental theme to it. And the theme was personified by a puzzle or a challenge that you had to complete by rolling dice and trying to get a uh, certain combination of numbers that would unlock the barriers between you and the gym that you were pursuing. So if you think a little bit of Yahtzee or Dice Throne, where you're rolling dice to get a certain type of result, and when you get that result, it unlocks a power. Mm -hmm. This is very much the same kind of thing, but the power was really access to gems in which you were trying to accumulate. And of course, while you're trying to acquire these gems, monsters are populating and if you roll the wrong numbers, the monsters do damage to you. So it becomes a time clock in which you need to get the gems before you end up dying to the monsters. And you have to start managing the monsters themselves because you can, you can eliminate them from the game, but that takes some of your dice rolls away and you're now split between two mm -hmm. goals of one getting gems and the other one defending yourself from monsters. So, yeah, so as a, as a fan of dice games combat games, and set collection games. This one really fit the bill for me. Again, a good gateway game. So many good games. I mean, just hard to mention them all, uh, but uh, I think we've covered a, most of the, the best that we experienced there. I would say I did not play one bad game there. 
and I would say that honestly, there was not one bad game that I played there. We are bringing home with us, for those of you in San Antonio and who patronize Nightwatch games, uh, one game that is no longer able to be had. You can't find it in distribution. They're sold out online and they brought their last bit of supply to the show. And I picked up a case of them and to find out what that is. Oh, and also some games that aren't even out yet. And we brought some home of those. But to find out what they are, you're going to have to come by the store and check it out. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm looking at our hall. We have probably 17 different titles that we are now bringing back to the demo board game. I also want to give a shout out to all the people at their respective booths that are really supporting small business and retailers and the local game stores by providing demo versions either at cost or sometimes they were donated freely. And that makes our job as game store owners uh, easier. And it certainly enlivens and empowers our customer base to make educated decisions by being able to play games before buying them. And our demo library has really gotten a good boost Mm -hmm. of new games that have come out. And what that means is that some games are going to have to go now. So Pork and I will go home and we'll figure out which games are coming off the library. What we do with those games is we send them downrange to different uh, military bases in Afghanistan, Iraq, Africa, and uh, the soldiers down there get to now start playing with those games. And we do that on our own dime just to send them off and help them out. So every game has a long life ahead of it. Yeah, there's a charity called Operation Supply Drop, which allows us to donate games to the troops that are deployed. All right, so that was a bunch of happy fuzzy fuzzy. Was there (laughs) anything negative that you experienced at Board Game Geek? Mm, There was a lot of butt crack. I mean, it just... A lot of butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, Uh, (laughs) There's not much we could do about that. That was sort of a joke and sort of not. So I wish we had been able to get a room at the Hyatt Regency, uh, but it was just sort of unattainable because of the price. I wish they had done like Gen Con does where they sort of cap it at 200. Uh, But uh, okay, that's not a big deal. Uh, We did not actually utilize or experience the full potential of the Board Game Geek convention. There was a lot going on that we didn't partake in because this was our first time and we're sort of just doing some recon. And also, um, I wanted to play as many games as I could. So taking part in the scavenger hunt and some of the other games that you could win prizes was not really at the top of my list. I want to leave that to the people that have to pay full price for games. Yeah. And they gave away games almost hourly. And it wasn't, uh, you must be eligible to win by being here. You could, at the end of the day, go and look at the leaderboard that they posted uh, digitally on the app that they offered, which was also very nice, and go see it and then just go collect it later. We didn't make a lot of use of the library, just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it was literally 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. solid gaming. Yep. Uh, One of the trends that I'm no- noticing from outside the fandom of board games. I'm sort of coming at this as a skirmisher or a war gamer or a card gamer. Is I see that the meeples and the components that are being included in the games are becoming very generic. A lot of the games are using the same plastic cube gem kind of component and they use it as a resource that you gather or you place on the board. I think about four of the five games that we played all had the same kind of gems in it. I have to admit that I was hoping for something a little more unique. I guess some people really like the idea of meeples being what they are, 
I like my action figures and my <laughs> miniatures and so the high detail. So what we need detail. to do is get Everdell and <clears throat> and instead of having four little porcupine meeples, we go get some of those Critter Kingdoms miniatures from Dark Sword Miniatures, yeah. paint them up, and have actual actual adventurers, yeah. you know, porcupine yeah, yeah. adventurers. That's more my style. Well, yeah, but then the, the game would cost about $50 there more. There is hun. that, right, yeah. <laughs> the meeples have become, it's sort of a bragging point when you have these amazing meeples, like in Everdell, the meeples are so dynamic. You know, they're, you can tell what it is. It's cute. Legendary Creatures is also a, a game known for its amazing meeples. Uh, lots of the other games we saw all had very unique meeples, but they're made of wood and they're easier to, to laser cut that way. Sure. Yeah. It does make sense in a, a logistical way. My mind and my tactile senses are really screaming for details so I can immerse myself more into the thematics of the game and mm -hmm. not necessarily the mechanics of the game. Right. And uh, meeple is definitely a mechanical representation of an idea mm -hmm. versus uh, putting you in a story. So... Yeah, don't listen to me. I'm just a cranky old guy. <laughs> Everybody's opinion is worthwhile. <laughs> All right, so we also got some swag. We, we bought some merchandise from some crafters and some bag makers. I think one of the things I'm excited about is a dice tray that looks like it has armor leather plates that snap together. So the dice tray looks like a piece of medieval armor. It's yeah. pretty awesome. And we also made a, uh, a connection with that company, so we can now order from them. And so while we only are bringing home three or four, we're going to be able to restock those. And they come in every style and every theme. So yeah, lots of lots of cute stuff, uh, dice bags, bags of holding, lots of good stuff coming home. About half of it going right onto the demo library but a good portion of it actually going onto the shelf. All right. So I think really in closing, our board game geek extravaganza is now coming to a close and we've had a really good time. And uh, I have to admit, I missed the store a bit. Um, <laughs> I miss the dogs miss, and the store. Yeah. But in that order. <laughs> uh, so we're coming home. We will see you guys again. And this is Pork and Brenda of Nightwatch Games Podcast signing off for our special report for the Board Game Geek Con. Adventure awaits. <laughs>